0: Welcome to the fifth episode of So We Heard, an informal coffee break chat series. I am your host Ragini, assistant producer on Can You Hear Us? Monica and Madeira started the Can You Hear Us podcast when they were master's students at LSE. They wanted to create a safe space for Biowalk to share their experiences. The podcast has grown leaps from this initial idea while the essence remains intact. So We Heard, like our parent series, is a space for Biowalk to share their narratives. We wanted to create a space where we could discuss and understand anything related to international development without the pressure or having to sound intelligent while doing it. Our last guest for 2023 was Madeira, so it is only fitting that our first guest for 2024 is Monica. Hi, Monica. Happy New Year.
1: Hi, Ragini. Happy New Year. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited.
0: I am very excited because we are discussing a very interesting topic today. But before that, The So We Heard team acknowledges that we do not represent all women or femmes of colour, and we can only speak from our experiences and perspectives. But we strive to include all women and femmes of colour in our conversations. We are always open to feedback from our listeners. So, Monica recently told me that America celebrates the National Month of Mentoring in January. I thought that was very interesting, so I looked into it a little bit more. And it turns out, in 1997, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health introduced the Harvard Mentoring Project, to recruit volunteer mentors for youth from underprivileged backgrounds. Today, the event is celebrated nationwide and recognized by the government, NGOs, schools and various civil society organizations. Monica, I know you love numbers, so I have some here for you. According to the Harvard School of Public Health website, when the campaign was launched in 1997, an estimated 300,000 young people in the US were receiving the benefits of a formal mentoring program each year. By 2005, which is just eight years, more than three million young people were participating each year in structured mentoring programs. Monica, so what are your first thoughts that come to your mind when you hear these numbers? Uh, thank you, Ragni.
1: You've like honed me and my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> what comes to mind is two things. The first is that increase you've mentioned. So we're talking about like the tenfold increase in under 10 years, which is pretty impressive of course, the Harvard paper is talking about uh, public health. Mm -hmm. So it's also important to recognize that mentoring can have many different capacities and many different benefits. What's really lovely about mentoring and interesting at the same time is that we're talking about micro-level impact that then has a macro-level impact. Mm So so mentoring happens uh, on a one-on-one basis, and then that impact can be seen scaled up It's also interesting, you've mentioned it's up to 3 million people in 2005, because that's about 1% of the US population today. Mm -hmm. So it'd be interesting to know today's number as well. Just because the second thought I had was, it also indicates the trajectory we are on Collectively and globally because of globalization and the way the market is working and also with different generations coming into the workforce, the different accountability mechanisms that companies and associations have to take on. So I'm talking notably about everything that's maybe related to diversity, equity and inclusion and environmental, social and governance. So these frameworks have been around for, I would say, about 20 years or so but in international development they've been around much longer since they're in a way the essence of the sector Mm -hmm. so it's really interesting to see how this has increased and i highly doubt it stopped increase Mm -hmm. increasing throughout time Mm -hmm. just because of the way corporations and the market is changing and structuring itself based on the regulation but also what newer generations coming into the workforce may be looking for or consumers may also be asking for from a product consumption or service consumption perspective
0: yeah so we will get a little bit into the current literature later on but before that because you have touched on this a little bit can we say that there is an ideal mentor mentor mentee relationship and with the newer generation coming into the workforce, what would this look like based on social factors like age, race, gender things which have already exist have always existed, but the current generation is a lot more explicit about these aspects of their identity. I guess my question would be, what if any is the ideal mentor mentee relationship?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I think because first of all, I'm not qualified to answer it <laughs> I think mentoring and the way you mentor or the way you show up as a mentee um, is very subjective mm-hmm. it's uh, very personal yeah. so I don't think there's there's a global answer to that which sounds a bit like a cop-out but I think it's also because of the structure of mentoring mm-hmm. so for instance I would say that you know, mentoring has the end goal of benefiting the mentee yeah. so you enter this social contract and in a way a relationship, uh, consciously and willingly to kind of enforce whatever the mentee needs. Mm -hmm. So if it's career advancement, if it's general well-being, Mm -hmm. so that's what you would discuss in a framed way and in some circumstances in a monitored way in like formal mentorship programs. The biggest difference from coaching or trainings or consultancies Maybe that, you know, mentoring is not usually monetized, so it's on a volunteer basis. So that self-selection is really important. Um, So, for instance, monitored programs do an amazing job of matching um, and they have, you know, a lot of uh, research behind that. And so in that sense, I think the most important thing, whether you're a mentee or a mentor, is to show up because that is something you have consciously gone into. And it's an amazing opportunity to learn from each other. That's why I would I would argue without a doubt, the most important thing is just to show up and bring your role.
0: As a mentor or as a mentee, do you think there are there, there is a cert, certain type of an attitude that you could have towards mentorship that would make showing up or that would make it easier for you to get the best out of this relationship? What would be the end goals that would make this relationship the right one for you or make you... Like, get the best out of it. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it depends on circumstance. Going back to your other question, compounding both of them, an important factor is the matching. So, mm-hmm. for instance, I would say something that helps a mentee is maybe to see themselves in you. Mm-hmm. That could be based on sectorial knowledge, mm-hmm. career trajectory, interests, uh, gender can also be based on race I think it's very important that as a mentee and as a mentor you are conscious of what you want to bring Mm -hmm. and what you're looking for Mm -hmm. so for instance in corporate settings you'll see a lot of mentorings that are gendered and that's specifically because it is seen that women in a corporate environment are not necessarily the biggest winners Mm. and so those programs will be made usually by women for women and creates a community where anyone that has joined that corporation can go in and discuss things that are pertinent to being a woman in that sector and or in that company, et cetera. I mean, you' also find mentoring at a university level with the Big brother Big sister program sometimes, um, you know, which helps the youth navigate that transition from school into higher education and or just the ages around being a teenager to not being a teenager. Yeah. So those factors are really important. However, mentoring is also self-selected, mm. meaning if you are in a context where you've worked with someone, and sorry, I keep talking about work. It's just indicative of what stage of life I'm in. Absolutely. But if you've worked with someone that you really enjoy the way they work, that you think that they're a great professional and on a personal level, you find easy to talk to. You can also approach them and say, hey, would you be interested in being my mentor? It would be like a coffee or a chat once a month. And I would like to do X, Y, and Z and develop one, two, three. That's also possible. Mm -hmm. And so in those cases, maybe the matching is more personality-based or Mm professional-based. Yeah, I think that kind of answers both your questions. Yeah. But again it shows how mentoring is very is very
0: very subjective. Yeah. <laughs> I did have another question but I think we've sort of covered it because whenever we discuss anything on so we heard my go to is always the question about essentialization. So with the case of mentorship it would be how beneficial is it for you to be matched with the person who's your exact same say gender, race, however, Mm. uh, without taking into fact without taking into account other factors, like you mentioned, things like personality, work style. But um, I think you've almost covered how it's both, right? It would be both the amount you can see yourself in your mentor makes a world of a difference. And for some people, that might be their gender or their race. For other people, it might be working style. And for a lot of people, it probably is a little bit of both.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think you also touched upon something important. This reminds me of Mickey Kendall's fantastic book, Hood Feminism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there is, and I'm going to misquote this for sure, because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But she says something along the line of the moment she realized that in feminist literature, they were talking about girls like her. And it was not girls like her writing about it. And that makes a big difference, right? Because in her case, she's talking about blackness. And from my interpretation, it was, you know, she realized that they were being seen as a problem to be fixed instead of contributors to feminism, even though they are, you know, women and femme mm-hmm. um, as well that are interested in yeah. equality and equity. Mm-hmm. And so to that, that it's really important, like you say, to see yourself reflected in your mentor at times. But I would also advise if you have the possibility to have various relationships Mm -hmm. to try and do that, because that diversity brings a a lot of richness. So for instance, there's literature that also shows that specifically in women's leadership mentoring a different gender match can be more beneficial than a same gender match because specifically the world may not be built by and for women, which is one of the arguments. So I, I do encourage people to always think about you don't need to have one mentor mentee. You can be both and you can have multiple. But then again, I'm I'm also of the school of the more is better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. That- Because you're right, traditionally, mentorship has been a one-way relationship where a fresher learns from the wisdom and experience acquired by a senior, right? But newer literature on leadership is challenging this understanding. And this brings me to our piece of media for this episode, which is an article called Defining Mentoring by Karen Mullen. Sorry, did I say Carol Mullen and Cindy Clematis, where they argue mentorship is a professional relationship with... personal dimensions befriending your mentor can enhance psychosocial support according to mentoring research however it needs to be well monitored and managed to ensure the effectiveness of the mentorship now i have been raised in indian culture and like most ex-colonies it is a very hierarchical society which does seep into mentorship styles as well the first time that i realized this was actually when i moved to the uk for university and I did kind of start interacting with professors where it it was a mentor-mentee relationship, obviously, but for the first time, I felt like I could contribute as well. And the professors wanted to listen to me and valued what I had to say instead of just wanting to teach me. Monica, I know you've grown up in a multicultural environment as well, and you also have study abroad experience. So what are your thoughts on the cultural nuances that may affect mentorship? Another fantastic question, Ragni. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a really good insight. Well,
1: I would say it's given me a wealth of tools to choose my mentors. (laughs) And I would say that because positionality is is very important and understanding, you know, who you are and who you want to be and asserting yourself in in that is something we always discuss, for instance, in our team. And it's something that, you know, maybe BiWalk have not always... Um, being given the space Mm -hmm. to amplify and to fully discover and develop with the support of the systems we're in, whether it's work, school, X, Y, and Z. And so that dichotomy might be really hard to wrap your head around the first time, but it's very beneficial because then it allows you to grow, which I think is also the key of mentoring, whether you're the mentor or the mentee, it's that growth on both sides. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is, I remember I sat down once with someone in a professional capacity, and they listed down all the stats of who were the biggest losers at work in terms of negotiation. I mean, losers in terms of not having a better word for it, but also in order of of ranking um, through studies. And it seems that East Asian women specifically rank very low just because of the perceptions that are built mostly in the West. I say, of course, because we're talking about theory and academia stemming from that, looking at uh, corporations in the West. Mm-hmm. So, in that context, Asian women are, in a way, ranked the lowest because of maybe the sociocultural norms that dictate or predetermine their behavior and also the perception that people have of how they should act Mm. which I thought was fascinating because they were telling me this in the context of you can also leverage your other side which is my Spanish side Mm. and see what you can benefit from that behavior in a professional setting and I remember at the time it was a bit shocking but I also understood the logic whether I agreed with it or not and so in that capacity when I landed my first corporate job in the workspace I was very conscious of trying to find mentors which are with as much diversity as possible mm-hmm. some are similar to me in personality some are similar to me in trajectory mm-hmm. and some are just people that I really admire that I may not have anything um, similar mm-hmm. with or to but that I think I can always learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to add to that, which is the opening sentence of this, this segment. You said traditionally it has this hierarchy component where a senior teaches a junior. Mm-hmm. And recently someone told me some corporations have what they call reverse mentoring, which I find fantastic, um, notably because... I am a part of a structured mentoring program. And as a mentor, I I always say this, but I think I learn so much from my mentees. And sometimes I worry I learn more than they learn from me. <laughs> <laughs> so it keeps me on my toes. Um, I think it's a massive privilege as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just wanted to give that shout out where I think things are changing yeah. because we're all questioning the status quo in that sense and trying to figure out what is best for us all and what direction we want to go in. It doesn't matter what it looks like.
0: Mm -hmm. No, um, No, absolutely. Things are changing. I think I see it in the way that when I talk to my parents about my workplace and the expectations I have, their initial reaction is always a little bit... You've, you're a fresher, you've just started out, you're flying too high. But then when I explain it to them, it's almost like it's almost like they're very impressed that I've had this thought at this stage in my career, where it's it's a thought that has come to them later on when they became more established, when they felt like they could kind of go in and demand time from their seniors. So these thoughts, these ideas have existed. But like you said, as the newer generation comes into the workplace, the way we interact with them is going to change on the topic of mentorships and hierarchies, the first thought that comes into my mind is for me, my relationship with my parents, I have kind of seen them as mentors and how that relationship has also changed. And the way I talk to my parents is different from the way they talk to their parents. So these small changes, when they come in your personal life, naturally they are going to translate into the workspace as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have a question for you, Ragni. When I still remember when we were discussing about what we could potentially discuss on this podcast and and you really gravitated towards mentoring Mm -hmm. and listening to how you've interpreted and your biggest role models and mentors being your parents. I just wanted to know what, you know, your maybe preconceived ideas of mentoring were and when you were writing this episode and now maybe with this chat, what they are and how they've evolved.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that question. I think I the reason I gravitated towards this topic was because mentorship as a concept had been on my mind for a while. I I think I've always been a very like shy, introverted kind of child. So in school, I didn't necessarily go out of my way to seek mentors, but because I was a good student, and I'm saying that in quotes, <laughs> there were like teachers would grab it. I was... I was the pleasure to have in class so the teachers would kind of gravitate towards me and just mentor me and then when I went to university and just my world opened up it did that was the first time I realized that to serve myself and to progress I would have to approach mentors and I would have to actively seek out people who I admire and I think I'm still kind of in that process of approaching people and asking them to be my mentor because again i think it's a cultural thing as well where i never want to go to a senior with a problem i always want to go to them with a solution so again like the when i was kind of researching about this episode and i read in the literature how it could how it should be a two way street a uh, mentorship that it kind of opened up my mind to how you don't have to go to seniors with solutions because they themselves for someone like me who's starting out right now, somebody who is my senior also has seniors who are working. So I'm kind of, I've kind of seen that the workplace is divided into three generations, basically. So if I'm the newest one, my seniors would be the middle one and their seniors would be the highest one. So I think more than anything, it really helped me get out of this school mind space of like student, teacher, student not even student teacher more like master student that's the that's the terminology I had in my head to kind of be like we're all equals we're all in this space to work towards something to achieve our professional goals experience is what differentiates us and like I have a lot to learn from my seniors they also have a lot to learn from us because we especially in development, we're constantly hearing about youth perspectives and how we want to hear what the youth has to say, what the youth feels, which again to me indicates the value of our experiences and the value of maybe not being jaded by the world to a certain extent. So having those kind of pure ideas and pure experiences, which could which could be valuable at a at a managerial level when you're so caught up in the day to day, uh at, I don't know if I've answered your question, but just to kind of share my experiences with the idea of mentorship, it is is something that has been on my mind. And now after this episode, it is going to be something I'm going to continue exploring because like there is this false narrative I think we've been shared, which is tunnel vision and work towards your goals. But I don't think that's how it works. I recently read somewhere that I forget, I don't know if I'm quoting the number correctly, but it was somewhere around 75% jobs get filled through networking. So yeah, I don't think the workspace is an isolation. You cannot be isolated in the workspace. It is a community. You need your community more than anything else. In the workspace, you would need mentors to help you build your professional space.
1: No, I agree. And I think it's very indicative of our generation, the fact, or it tells our audience, or people that we speak to, what generation we're from when we say yeah. that it's important to see the work in progress and not just the end result. And and I agree with you. I think that's also what I find the most beneficial is when my mentors talk about their journey, how they got from A to B, because I can see where they are now. Yeah. And so, usually they're at, already at Z, they're going to restart the alphabet for the third time okay. over, right? As, as a young professional, that gives me a lot of hope. But also on the flip side, in the mentoring program I take part of, having to sit down and following a curriculum around women's leadership because that's the program I take um, part of and breaking down the steps for my mentee of like, we're at A and how do we get to B and how would you like to get to B and this is you know what they would suggest is really beneficial as well because it again reminds you that it's all about it's a process and you're learning from each other as long as communication is open and comfortable and safe
0: absolutely I couldn't agree more and I think that is a great note to end this episode on
1: thank you so much Ragni for having me it's been such an insightful conversation and i really enjoyed talking about mentoring something i just really love kind of fell into it by accident as well so just thank you so much and um yeah it was really insightful to also hear everything you've had to say And, and thank you for entertaining my questions thanks so much it was so lovely to speak to you
0: thank you so much for your time monica and thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in to so we heard we hope you enjoyed our show happy 2024 I am your host, Ragini, signing off and going to overhear some interesting conversations to bring back for you. See you. A special thanks to the LSE Department of International Development and the LSE Volunteer Centre for all their support in not only the production and promotion of this episode, but also with expanding our team. We would not be able to reach all of you if it wasn't for their platform. Thank you, LSE. This episode was produced by Ragini Puri and researched by Doris Huang.